Good morning. It is the 5th of February, 2024. Please let me know in the comments if there's an issue with the audio. Once again, making sure that we have functional audio this morning. Um, today, it's worth noting that Father Heilman of the U.S. Grace Force is starting a 54-day novena of novenas for unity in the church. I have suggested that uh, I suggested quasi privately with uh, Joe McLean on his radio show, and it was sort of in the it was in the after show for those of you who watched it on uh, uh, through his paywall. I think it was through his paywall. He um, suggested that we kind of piggyback off of that and start a 54 day novena of novenas today, which the novena of novenas would means it's it's rosary every day for 54 days. Um, with the intention of the conversion of the wolves in the shepherd's clothing in the hierarchy for their conversion of souls because they're, the damage they're doing is great and they need an interior conversion, frankly, as do we all, actually. But this morning, I would suggest that people consider joining in on that. Keep your rosary for the next 54 days. And I will have, uh, I'll try to put a link in my show notes in the, at about 5 a.m central's time for the instructions on that now on friday a document was dropped by the vatican that has not been translated into english officially the uh, i have a working translation we'll call it here provided by a translating extension on google chrome so put an asterisk next to the translation and we can go over this document it's about the validity of the sacraments and I have really nothing overtly negative to say about this document. That may surprise some people. I will say that the intention behind the document I'm suspicious of, as should a lot of people, at least partially. And that's because we have been in a world created by fiducia supplicants now for two and a half months, going on three months. And it quite frank or two, well, December 18th. Okay. Yeah. So two months, we've been in here for two months now talking about fiducia supplicants endlessly. And more bishops' conferences are announcing now, which I'll probably talk about tomorrow, that they're not going to go along with fiducia supplicants. And this will change the conversation. At least it will be an attempt to change the conversation. The problem is the document doesn't contain anything troubling. And that's a good thing. <laughs> Finally, a teaching document from the Dicastery of the Doctrine of the Faith that actually upholds the doctrine of the faith. I know that's um, it's a sad state when that is a mark for good news. We'll go over that. We'll go over an article on it, and then we'll go over some parts of the encyclical. The thing is, or not encyclical, but the actual declaration. It's um a little too long, I think, to just read verbatim. It would be about a 30-minute read if I did that. But it addresses a problem that we, for those who've been paying attention for the last four years, have known about. Do you remember back in, I think it was 2020, when we started getting this rash of these stories coming out where people were digging up their their the videotapes of their baptism? These are adults who had been baptized and their family members recorded it. And they discovered that their baptism wasn't valid because the priest kind of just made up the formula as he went along. And a lot of people's reaction to that was, of course, being mortified, which is the absolute correct response to that. But others were like, well, it's not a big deal. God understands. And I actually asked a traditional priest about this, a very hard line traditional priest also one of the most peaceful men I've ever spoken with, but a very hardline traditional priest nonetheless, and asked him, so do you think this actually matters, or is this one of those God understand stuff? And he was absolutely 
himself mortified that any Catholic, any professing Catholic, would have such a blasé attitude about the integrity of the sacraments. So this was an important story. And this one hit pretty close to home for me because in the diocese I live in, there was a priest who discovered that his baptism was not valid, meaning he could not receive the rest of the sacraments validly. So what the diocese did was that day conferred on him conditional baptism, confirmation, holy communion, and I think confession. And then the next day gave him a conditional, you know, reconsecrated him a pre reordained him a priest basically on the spot to make sure that he could continue doing what he was supposed to be doing. That story made international headlines in the Catholic press. And when that happened, a lot of people began asking the question, how do I know if my baptism is valid? A lot of people started wondering, will we be able to get conditional baptism ourselves if we have doubts? And some I know sought it out. So we'll go to the story because this is the Vatican addressing the problem at the root, which is not to say, here's what you do if you are doubting your own baptism. They are saying, really, you know, like, trying to stop this from happening again by reminding priests not to play fast and loose with the sacraments. And for those of you who are wondering why we should take this document at face value, I want you to remember something about Francis. Francis has said repeatedly, the most honest thing he's ever said is that he believes that he is implementing Vatican II, that he's finishing the implementation of the council. And this is why we, we saw this as one example in his demand that in India, the bishops and priests succumb and submit to the traditional form of their liturgy because Vatican II's documents actually on the liturgy, they have a document on Eastern liturgies and it explicitly says to keep the traditional form of their liturgy there. And Francis is implementing Vatican II. That's what he says his job is to do, is to finish the implementation of the council. And Vatican II's documents on the sacraments are pretty clear. And you see that through this document here. So we're gonna go to life site for the initial coverage. I will go to the actual full document. It's only in Italian. But again, I have an, a Google Translate extension here, <laughs> right? So again, asterisk next to it. And we're not going to go over the whole thing. It's too long to do that. But we'll go over a couple points in it. So headline from LifeSite. Breaking, Cardinal Fernandez issues text on validity of sacraments. Cardinal Fernandez's text does not contain specifics regarding the individual sacraments, but warned that changing, quote, the form of a sacrament or its subject matter is always a gravely illicit act. Now I can see in the shadows, standing about there with arms crossed, giving everybody a knowing look, set of a contests and other hardline traditional Catholics asking, well, they changed the form of the sacraments after Vatican II. Now, the documents of the council didn't call for new forms of the sacraments, but it is true that starting in the late 1960s and going into the 70s, you had new forms of, you had the, the substance of baptism and confirmation and other things changed. They were. There are Anybody who's witnessed a traditional baptism will know that the traditional form of baptism involved a lot of minor exorcisms being done that are not in the new form. Does that invalidate new baptisms? No. But they did tinker with the sacraments, which is why it's always interesting when they say things a little too concretely in these modern declarations. When they say that changing the form of a sacrament or its subject matter is always a gravely illicit act. That's an interesting admission from them. We'll go to the article here. Quote, Victor Manuel Cardinal Fernandez has published a new document on the validity of the sacraments, which he says is a response to various unauthorized changes to the form of the sacraments, which render them invalid. Now, there's an interesting phrasing, 
unauthorized changes. It does. Some people have said that there's an article floating around out there characterizing this document as opening the door to authorized changes to the sacraments. They don't need to do that since they got away with changing the sacraments in the 1960s and 70s anyway. We'll continue. Entitled Gestius Verbesque, pardon my bad Latin, the 12-page text was released February 3rd by the new prefect of the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith, unanimously approved by January on January 25th at the Plenary Assembly of CDF members and then by Pope Francis on January 31st. The text has been published because, according to Fernandez, quote, it must be noted that the liturgical celebration, particularly that of the sacraments, is not always carried out in full fidelity to the rites prescribed by the church. Translation, it means that sometimes the sacraments, when they're offered, they are done on the whims of the priest. He just sort of makes things up as he goes along. The most notorious example of this is with baptism. If you ever see a priest or anybody else say, we baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, that's an invalid baptism because the priest must is in persona Christi. And so he must say, I baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. If you don't think that's a, that big of a deal, I'm going to remind you what of what I, the response I got when I asked a traditional priest, a very hard line one about this, that, that it's rather, it's rather horrifying that a lot of Catholics, self-described traditional Catholics would have a blase attitude about the substance of the sacraments, that this isn't just a God doesn't is, will understand thing that the church has since its inception taught the same thing about the sacraments for a very good reason. And we do not tinker with the sacraments. And we continue saying several times this dicastery has intervened to settle doubts about the validity of sacraments celebrated within the framework of the Roman rite and disregard of liturgical norms, sometimes having to conclude with a painful negative response, noting in those cases that the faithful have been robbed of what is due to them. Aimed chiefly at bishops, the document presents itself as an aid and looks to highlight some elements of a doctrinal nature with regard to discernment on the validity of the celebration of the sacraments, paying attention also to some disciplinary and pastoral implications. Fernandez drew heavily from the writings of the Second Vatican Council, along with texts from the Council of Trent, and that's rare these days, Aquinas and Popes Benedict XVI and Francis. Quote, the interventions of the magisterium in sacramental matters have always been motivated by the fundamental concern for fidelity to the mystery celebrated, he noted. Indeed, the church has a duty to ensure the priority of God's action and to safeguard the unity of the body of Christ and those actions that have no equal because they are sacred par excellence with an efficacy guaranteed by Christ's priestly action. Highlighting the matter and form required validity of each sacrament, the document notes that, quote, it cannot be ignored that when the church intervenes in determining the constituent elements of the sacrament, she always acts rooted in tradition to better express the grace conferred by the sacrament. Quoting directly from the Council of Trent to note that the menace of the sacrament must have, quote, the intention to do at least what the church does, Fernandez reiterated that council's teaching that, quote, matter, form, and intention are intrinsically united. They are integ integrated into sacramental action in such a way that intention becomes a unifying principle of matter and form, making them a sacred sign by which grace is conferred ex opere operato. Principally, Fernandez presented the text of a 2020 CDF ruling on baptism, noting that the altering the form of a sacrament is not a private or small issue, but one which affects the church, quoting that document. 
To change on one's own initiative, the celebratory form of a sacrament does not constitute a simple liturgical abuse as a transgression of a positive norm, but a vulness inflicted at the same time on ecclesial communion and on the recognizability of Christ's action, which in the most serious cases renders the sacrament itself invalid because the nature of a ministerial action demands that one faithfully transmit what one has received. All right, let's talk about this for a second. Do you understand the gravity of tinkering with the sacraments? A lot of people now want to dismiss this concern as a, well, God understands kind of thing. We are deep in a crisis in the church, a multi-tiered, multifaceted crisis in the church. When one of them is a crisis of laxity. We've seen this in this sort of pastoral focus in the last several decades. One that one scholar that I've seen has paid has called this the crisis the pastoral heresy and the sort of the flip side of that heresy is this idea that we can be lax in our expression of the faith in the sacraments in our prayer lives it all kind of goes to this underlying idea that many of us verbally say we reject but we live as if we believed which is the dare we hope all men are saved because God understands. The sacraments are something to be taken very, very, very seriously. And it's weird to see a document that is this orthodox, citing the Council of Trent of all things, and even citing the part of the, the aspect of ministry that you most often see overlooked in this. One that is cited by traditionalists who have questions about the validity of the Novus Ordo sacraments, or who even outright deny they're valid, which is that for a sacrament to be valid, the person administering the sacrament must have the intent to do what the church does when giving that sacrament. This is why it is people often wonder why it is that the church is so open to, for instance, baptisms performed by, by many Protestant groups, not all Protestants. There are certainly groups of Protestants who believe what the Catholic church teaches about the sacrament of baptism but there are others who believe it is just a symbol that we that jesus really emphasized this symbol and we just do what he told us to do because it's a symbol that of our trust in him or something which is not what the church says about baptism so why do we take their baptisms all that seriously if you look at the list of protestant groups that whose baptisms as long as we can prove they did them and that they did them in the proper form that we accept it's rather startling because that did not used to be the case. I want to take a look here. No, Muzdin, you did not hear that it doesn't matter if one modifies because they're intrinsically united. No, you did not hear that. <laughs> he actually said the opposite of that. Fernandez, for once, said something correct, that the purpose of the document is to, not, is to chastise priests and bishops who modify the form of the sacraments, that it actually is a grave sin, and it's illicit, and undermines the church when they do it. Colleen says, I only realized, recently realized in 2018, they changed the catechism to say that the ultimate penalty the state can impose is always wrong. And we are not, and we are against it. Reversal of the previous catechism and not biblically correct. Right. Um, they did do that. And this is why I always find it odd when people take the catechism and put it up as like uh, something right up there with sacred tradition. And, the uh in sacred scripture 
because catechisms are subject to being edited. This is why I always tell people, go, to, go get like a copy of the Catechism of Pope St. Pius X or the, count, the Catechism of Trent. Those are your best catechisms. And they're also much simpler. And they don't ask basic questions like that, but you can find traditional teachings on them. And the Bible's pretty clear on that, on, on that penalty. Sonny Jim asks, what is their evidence, meaning those who say it doesn't really matter that much if the baptism isn't done right because, quote, God understands? He says, what is their evidence of God understands? I think that is nonsense. We ha Why have a defined process with specific prayers if it doesn't matter? Th that's the basic question, right? There is a process for these things. The sacraments are governed in a specific way. So why, what's the big deal? Or why do people think that God understands if it, if it's, if they're if the church has spent all this time, literally thousands of years at this point, saying no, it must be done a certain way, and that way has not changed in a substantial way. The mean the right it used to be the most substantial change to the form of sacraments before Vatican II was in ancient days most baptisms were done in full immersion, but that was about it. That was because they were usually done at rivers and things. Philip Webb. Yeah, no, I uh, actually, interesting that you bring up Father Malachi Martin. I have a new video on Father Martin coming this weekend. Um, I'm not touching his topic on the sacraments yet, other than to say he did, he did actually believe most Novus Ordo sacraments were not valid because most priests in his day were not being trained to do what the church taught. That's a subject for another time. I have something else for him, much more applicable to fiducia supplicants. Gregory McElhaney says, God does understand. That's the danger. Down the slippery slope to right is wrong. Right. God understands in the way that, not in the way that these people tend to mean. Uh, Erlene says, I'm very grateful that I was baptized. I was witness that I was actually baptized. Uh, your baptism is declared, I'm pretty sure, is not valid by church standards. Most people don't know when you're baptized that they tell you that you're baptized in the, name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Right, but the Catholic Church doesn't recognize Jehovah's Witness baptisms. They don't. They're on the list of people who don't. You may, may want to go talk to your priest. <laughs> um, so let's actually take a look a little bit at the actual document itself. So let's go here to the actual text. And actually, what am I doing? Why don't... The life site actually has a better translation than I did. So let's just go back to the life site one and we'll go to here. See life sites translation. So here we go to the life site translation. And I know where I want to go. The, the doc, the, one of the issues that makes it separates this document from previous documents done by the Vatican is that unlike fiducia supplicants, this document was actually presented to cardinals and bishops and they approved it before Fernandez had Francis approve it. So there was a whole other process here. You're not going to see pushback on this document. Maybe they'll say it didn't go far enough. That might be about as far as you go. Like here's your, uh, he says, may this document unanimous, unanimously approved on January 25th by the members of the dicastery gathered in plenary assembly. And then by Francis himself renew and all ministered the church, the full awareness of Christ told us you have not chosen me, but I have chosen you. Meaning that this document was approved by all the members of the prefect for the, or the, all the members of the dicastery, all the bishops and cardinals who work there. And he goes into a lot of detail about what the sacraments are, but I'm going to go down to this section here in the next one. It says the church is received and expressed in the sacraments. The second Vatican council analogically refers to the notion of sacrament to the whole church. 
particular when it states in the Constitution of the Sacred Liturgy that from the side of Christ sleeping on the cross sprang the admirable sacrament of the whole church, it relates back to the typological reading, dear to the fathers of the relationship between Christ and Adam. The council text evokes the well-known statement of St. Augustine, who explains, Adam sleeps that Eve may be formed. Christ dies that the church may be formed. On the side of Adam who sleeps, Eve is formed. On the side of Christ who died on the cross, struck by the lance, flow the sacraments by which the church is formed. The dogmatic constitution on the church reiterates that the latter is, quote, in Christ a sacrament that is signed and instrument of the intimate union with God and of the unity of the whole human race. And this is realized precipitously through the sacraments, in each of which the sacramental nature of the church, the body of Christ, is implemented in its own way. The connotation of the church as a universal sacrament of salvation, quote, shows how the sacramental economy ultimately determines the way in which Christ, the one Savior, through the Spirit, reaches out to our existence in the specificity of its circumstances. The church receives and at the same time expresses itself in the seven sacraments, through which God's grace concretely influences the existence of the faithful so that all life, redeemed by Christ, becomes worship-pleasing to God. And the one part here that I always, whenever I read this part from Vatican II, it always strikes me is that the church, they call the church like a sacrament itself, which is always kind of weird. I've never seen that language before Vatican II. Let me know in the in the chat or in the comments, have you seen the church referred to as a sacrament itself before Vatican II? Because I've never seen that. Now, he continues saying, precisely by constituting the church as its as his mystical body, Christ makes believers participants in his own life, uniting them to his death and resurrection in a real and arcane way through the sacraments. Indeed, the sanctifying power of the Holy Spirit acts in the faithful through the sacramental signs, making them living stones of a spiritual edifice founded on the cornerstone that is Christ the Lord, and constituting them as a priestly people, partakers of the one priesthood of Christ. The seven vital gestures which the Council of Trent solemnly declared to be of divine institution thus constitute a privileged place of encounter with Christ the Lord, who bestows his grace, and who through the words and ritual acts of the church nourishes and strengthens faith. I want to see what that, let's go take a look at what that footnote is, because that spirit, that privileged stuff always kind of is a bit of a flag whenever you see it. That is actually from Sacrosanctum Concilium. So, okay, so when you start talking about hearing our Lord or the Catholic Church referred to as a privileged path, that's where it's coming from. It is in the Eucharist and all the other sacraments that we are guaranteed the possibility of encountering the Lord Jesus and being reached by the power of his Passover. Aware of this, the church from its origins has taken special care of the sources from which it draws a lifeblood for its existence and witness. The word of God attested by sacred scripture and tradition and the sacraments celebrated in the liturgy to which it continually led back to the mystery of Christ's Passover. The interventions of the magisterium and sacramental matters have always been motivated by the fundamental concern for fidelity to the mystery celebrated. That's a reference to the changes to the sacraments after Vatican II. Indeed, the church has a duty to ensure the priority of God's action and to safeguard the unity of the body of Christ in those actions that have no equal because they are sacred par excellence with an efficacy guaranteed by Christ's priestly action. Here he says the church guards and is guarded by the sacraments. This is where the church is not allowed to change the sacraments. This is really where they start hammering home the idea that it is illicit to change the sacraments. And it's worth remembering that this problem that we see in the church today comes really from the, the changes in the liturgy. The traditional mass has, as one of its great strengths, virtually no room in it for the priest to ad lib things. Every gesture, everything, every prayer, everything is dictated by the form of the liturgy. The only place that he can ad lib anything is in his homily, and that's about it. 
it is a very structured form of liturgy, right down to the fact that it's using a language that cannot be manipulated the way English can. Whereas in the new form of the liturgy, being in the vernacular and being made with many options for the priest, you, the priest has at his disposal the ability to fundamentally change what, how the mass is to fit his own whims. And that thinking there bleeds into other areas. And we see this in baptism. We baptize you and other such things. That is where this happens. And you're never going to see them admit that, of course, because they are dedicated to their liturgical revolution. But remember, the church guards and is guarded by the sacraments. It's a true statement. And the fact that they felt that they do this while in this same document, there is a, a footnote too, too, right here on this page. This document here, Desireo Desiravi, which was the clarification of Traditionis Custodis. It's fascinating that they can say a lot of this with a straight face, that the church can't change the form of the sacraments, yet suppress the traditional mass. Let's continue a little bit here. The church is the minister of the sacraments, not their mistress. By celebrating them, she herself receives their grace. She guards them and is in turn guarded by them. The potestas she can exercise in reference to the sacraments is analogous to that which she possesses in regard to sacred scripture. In the latter, the church recognizes the word of God, put in writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, establishing the canon of the sacred books. At the same time, however, she submits herself to this word, which piously hears, holily keeps, and faithfully expounds. In a similar way, the church, assisted by the Holy Spirit, recognizes those sacred signs by which Christ bestows the grace that emanates from Easter, determining their number and indicating for each of them the essential elements. In doing so, the church is aware that to administer God's grace is not to appropriate it, but to make herself an instrument of the Spirit in transmitting the gift of the Paschal Christ. She knows in particular that her protestus in guarding the sacrament stops at their substance. Just as in preaching, the church must always faithfully proclaim the gospel of Christ, who died and rose again. So in sacramental gestures, she must guard the saving gestures Jesus entrusted to her. It is also true that the church has not always univocally indicated the gestures and words in which the substance divinitus instituta consists. For all the sacraments, in any case, those elements that the ecclesial magisterium, listening to the census fidei of the people of God, and in dialogue with theology, that's a weird turn of phrase, has called matter and form to which the minister's attention is added, appear fundamental. The matter of the sacrament consists of human action through which Christ acts. Goes into various forms of matter. The form is sacrament constituted by the word, which gives transcendent meaning to matter. Matter and form, because of the rootedness in scripture and tradition, have never depend have never depended, nor can they depend on the will of the individual or of the individual community. There's your key phrase that gets to the core of this baptism problem we had a few years ago, where many people were discovering their baptisms were not valid. You had bishops and priests have, bending the sacraments to their will. How many times have you seen footage of a, of a priest ad-libbing the words of consecration? That happens all the time. This is why I like to, in, in some of my news videos, my not my live streams, my, some of my normal news videos, like to sort of jokingly say it's time to check in with the unique and sole expression of the Roman rite. And then you will we'll watch together as some bizarro world thing starts happening at a mass somewhere. Because there is this belief that the priest has the right or the bishop has the right to fundamentally change the mass. Usually, in way, they often do it in ways that don't technically make the mass invalid, but is still scandalous and frankly harmful to people's faith who are there because they're treating it as a joke. But sometimes you do see footage 
or accounts, firsthand eyewitness accounts of a priest just making his own Eucharistic prayers at the altar. Sometimes them consecrating things at the altar that have no business being consecrated or using vessels that are not allowed by the church to, for the sacraments. The church is the safeguard of the, of the, of the sacraments that were instituted by our Lord. She has no right to alter them. They admit that in this document, which of course begs a lot of questions that a traditionalist, I'm sure we're going to see traditionalist commentary on this in the coming days by more liturgically minded people than I am. All right, let's take a look here in the comments here. Traditionalist Catholic says, I've read parts of the general instruction of the Roman Missal the USCCB uses, and the new Mass seems to be structured in a way that the priest can compose his own Mass. It is. This. How many of you who go to the new Mass know for a fact that you are within a short drive of essentially different forms of the Novus Ordo within an hour's drive of you? That if you go to a... This is why the so-called unicorn Masses exist. This is why the you have the clown masses exist and they're both novus ordo masses because they are there is so much room in the general instruction of the roman missal that the priest can alter the form of the mass to fit his own bidding with some exceptions of course but that doesn't stop people from then trying to change those things he's not supposed to change all right so i'm i am uh he says he went to a, it's a, yeah, that's a, yeah. That is a funny autocorrect though. I just had to go look for it when I saw people talking about that. Um, Elena said, let's see. She says, I went to a parish in San Diego. My sister and I can sense angels and also demons. We walked in and felt like a Protestant church. Where is God? Well, um, this is why I always tell people to go back to, tra to the traditional parishes if they can. That's just what my always thing. I ultimately, I can't tell you what form of the mass to attend, but ultimately, if you really push me, I tell you, look, you start, you gotta start going back to the traditional parish. Joe says he doesn't trust anything these buffoons publish. Well, that's where we're going to get to here next. Because I could keep going through this document, but I'm not going to. Instead, I'm going to suggest something here. As one outlet noted, and I think it was Info Vaticana, they had a, such a short article on this, it's actually almost not worth talking about any real way. When you look at the Info Vaticana on this, I mean, it's even got a typo in the headline, right? <laughs> Tuco has discovered what we all knew, which is that there's been a massive problem in baptisms and the fast and loose manipulation of the sacraments by some priests who think they're doing something good. You know, they say that they're invalid sacraments due to alteration of the formula. El Tuco will believe that he discovered the Mediterranean. Rather, it seems like a diversionary maneuver to see if it cushions the Fiducia scandal. He's not going to get it. And that's absolutely true. But the other thing is, do you believe that the Vatican is going to try to enforce this document? What do you think is going to happen if you find a parish, you go to confession, and the priest makes up his own absolution prayer? And it doesn't key, involve the key phrasing for the sacrament of uh, reconciliation, as they call it now, to be valid. That you have the sinking suspicion that it wasn't valid. And so you then, and let's say you, you, this is a parish you go to on your lunch break to go to confession. And so you go to your home parish and you go back in line to the confessional and you ask your priest and you find out, yeah, that, that, that confession was not valid. Do you think if you report that parish priest to your, to your bishop, anything is going to happen to him? 
How about if you write a letter concerning this to the DDF, the Diocastery for the Doctrine of the Faith, that anything will happen? Probably not. Now, what happens if you report to your bishop that your priest got up on Sunday at a hom and gave a homily on how the church can't bless sin? That the James Martin topic is attempt, they are forces in the church trying to make that sin normal and widely accepted in the church. What do you think is going to happen if you try to report that? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Well, for that priest, he'll probably get in trouble, but nothing will happen with, with, with this document. And it's why I like seeing this kind of a document come out where they reaffirm the traditional teaching of things. But no way are they actually doing anything that will actually uphold the faith. So I wonder, they're not going to enforce this. That's my suspicion on this. Why? That's why I think, well, it's good to have this, these documents out there you can throw in the face of somebody. At the end of the day, I don't think it's you're going to see this enforced. Mike Rizzio says the note makes a case for Fernandez being the great defender. I don't think anybody's going to buy that other than Pope's planners. Certain YouTubers will be like, oh, oh, everyone should be relieved. Yeah, Fran Fernandez for Pope, right? You might see that, but um, Muzzin has somebody in the chat, Maramite, says that he has, they've seen masses, Novus Ordo masses with homemade bread on the altar. Yeah, unless that bread was made explicitly following the instructions of the church for what constitutes uh, the actual proper material for the Eucharist, then it's just bread. Um, all right, folks, if there are any thoughts on this, let me know in the comments, please. This is your chance to get them in. I have a very, an interesting video for you today. For those watching later, you may have watched it already, but in about less than 15 minutes from the time that this is ending, um, I will have for you something from, uh, an open letter of faithful to Cardinal Burke demanding that he, uh, start acting and he start acting now because the state of the church demands that he act instead of just writing letters and being mostly silent. So please consider tuning into that. It's not very long, but it is uh, something I think that is needed to, for people to really discuss. Let's take a look at the live chat. Lottie says that they agree that they will not defend the document. That's absolutely true. Dr. Obvious says, are clown mass attendees complaining in mass of the diocese writing public letters to shame the bishop to address the issue publicly? Easy to leave for TLM. <laughs> I suspect that um, parishes that actually have what we would call a clown mass, the parishioners are fine with it. It's usually the people who find the clown mass by accident, people who travel or for whatever reason, they don't want to go to their own parish. Maybe they've got plans for things that they're going to do with their family after mass and so they decide to go to a mass near where they're going to be later in the day. And it turns out there's literal paper mache puppets being used and liturgical dancing going on and other things that are actually strictly forbidden according to the general instruction of the Roman, right? Because those things happen. The footage is out there. They're the ones who are going to be noticing these things if any complaining is going to be. Yes, B. Bell, I uh, either covered that video, covered that in a video this past few days or will be in the next couple days. I, my memory on things is a blur right now. Um, all right, folks. Thanks very much. Mary Magdalene says he, she thinks it's quite strange that Cardinal Burke has not spoken about fiducia supplicants. I think that has to do with what happened with him basically being stripped of all of his authority, losing his people call his Vatican apartments, actually his office. I mean, he lives there, but it's because 
place he needs such space because he actually has staff that he has to pay out of pocket to you know keep employed and things and he's lost all of that and i think that's part of it um All right, folks. Thank you very much for tuning in today. Please pray for everybody we spoke about today in this video, especially if anybody, if you, if you cut anger watching any of this. And as always, pray for the church. I'm Anthony Stein, Ave Maria.